Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for your food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. Now the Lord is about to lay waste the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. It shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly laid waste and utterly despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers, the world languishes and withers, the heavens languish together with the earth. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth dwindled, and few people are left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope that you all are doing well, staying at home, that you're staying safe. We certainly miss you all here. So this today is going to be a one-off sermon, and we're going to have a bunch of sermons in between. We're going to begin our sermon series on Memorial Day weekend for the summer. I will be here doing that. If you have not already heard, I'm not going to be going on my sabbatical this summer because we cannot travel. And so we're hoping, my family is, that we can do that next summer in the summer of 2021. So we will be here. That sermon series will begin on Memorial Day weekend. And like you, right now, I am at home and I'm sitting around and I was looking at Earth Day, which was on Wednesday, and I noticed that there was a lot of talk about apocalypse, that people were using that word a lot. And so it struck me that it actually might be good for us to actually talk about the apocalypse. What is the apocalypse? What does it say about the apocalypse in the Bible? And what does it mean for us today? Are we in the middle of the apocalypse? So we're going to try to answer that question this morning. So in order to talk about apocalypse, first, we have to understand what it's connected to in the scriptures, which is that it's directly connected to Jesus's return, Jesus's second coming. The idea that Jesus is going to come back from heaven and rule over all the nations of the earth, this is an idea that has been part of the Christian faith since the beginning of Jesus's movement after his death and resurrection. In fact, Jesus's apostles use this as 
as a way to convince people to become part of Jesus's movement. They would say, Jesus is going to be here any day, and so it's really important for you to come and be part of Jesus's movement. Now, the question that comes up again and again with people today and people back then is, what exactly does Jesus's arrival look like? What's it going to entail? And if you read in the Bible, what you will find is that it's not exactly good news for everyone. So if we look at the Apostle Paul, the way that he talks about it, he uses words like destruction and labor pains and no escape. Not exactly positive imagery. And it gets much worse when you turn to the book of Revelation, which is also known as the Apocalypse of John. Now that word apocalypse in Greek simply means to reveal. So John, he was writing his letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and he was telling them about this vision that God had revealed to him of what Jesus's second coming was going to be like. Now this letter is filled with a lot of really interesting imagery and illusions, and much of which is very, very hard to understand. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you know that it's, it's really challenging. And the truth is, is that we're guessing at what a lot of that imagery means. But what we do know is that the author of Revelation, John, he borrowed fairly heavily from the Old Testament prophets. And this is particularly true when he's talking about the overhaul of the earth, where God is going to merge heaven and earth together to create God's kingdom. And we read some of that imagery this morning when we were reading from the prophet Isaiah. So let's take a look at that one more time. Now the Lord is about to lay waste the earth and make it desolate. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth dwindled, and few people are left. Now you don't need to be a biblical scholar to understand exactly what this is talking about. Essentially, God's going to be cleaning house. God is going to hit the reset button. God is going to get rid of everyone and everything. And if you're not on God's good list, then you're going to get taken out with the trash. Now, this is scary stuff, no doubt about it. But the question we don't often ask as Christians is, is this true? Should we actually be heeding these words? Are these words representative of events that will actually happen in the future? Or are these musings of an oppressed people? Like the kid in the schoolyard who's getting picked on by the bully and one day says, my father is gonna make you sorry that you ever laid a hand on me, but then that day never comes. And to use that analogy properly, what we're saying is, is that the Jewish people and the Christian people, they are like the little kid and the bullies are these larger nations that are coming after them, and their father is God. But the question is, will God ever do this? And I ask this because the fact is, people have been talking about Jesus' return for the better part of 2,000 years, and he has not come back yet. Now, I'm not saying that he won't necessarily come back, but the fact is, is that he's not here. We have been waiting and anticipating this. 
And because Jesus hasn't come back, a lot of people take books like Revelation and they feel that they can interpret the language in it, the symbols that are in it, to determine when is Jesus going to return. And in fact, one of the verses that is used most often is one of the most famous verses from the book of Revelation, and that's when John is talking about the beast. So let's take a look at that scripture. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Now, the number 666 has long been associated with Satan. And people have taken the book of Revelation, particularly this verse and the verses surrounding it, and they have tried to apply it to current times to be able to estimate when Jesus is going to come back. But people were already doing that in John's time. So when John wrote this letter, the letters or the numbers 666, they were referring to a person in that day and time. And there's a lot of theories around this. Scholars have speculated that it could be that the number 666 refer to Emperor Nero. Now, why does it refer to Emperor Nero? Well, in 64 AD, there was a fire that was started in Rome. It destroyed a lot of Roman property. It killed a lot of people. And the rumor was that Nero was the one who started the fire. And the person or the people who he blamed for that were the Christians who he then persecuted. So how does 666 relate to Nero? Well, if you take the name Nero Caesar, you transliterate it into Hebrew, what you find is that each Hebrew letter has an association with a number. This is known as gematria. And so if you take the, the letters and then use the numbers that are associated with them, it adds up to 666. Now the same could be said for Emperor Domitian. So in 93 AD, he imposed a very heavy tax burden on all of the Christians in Asia Minor. And in doing so, he caused a lot of problems for them. The reason why he did this is because they refused to worship him. But perhaps of all the theories around this number 666, the one that I find to be the most interesting is that 666 is a scribal error. So you may be aware that when you're looking at the scriptures, what we read today, that we do not have any of the original copies of those letters or the gospels. All we have are copies of copies of copies. And the earliest copies we have of those are just fragments. Now, when you find the book of Revelation, those fragments we have, one of the earliest fragments actually refers to this passage with the beast. And what's interesting is that within that passage, what we can find is that the number is not 666, but 616. And so at a certain point of time, it may be that that was written down incorrectly. So all of this stuff that we're talking about around 666 actually may not make any sense at all. So this raises the question, are we guessing about the apocalypse? Is the apocalypse even real? Is it something that we should be concerned about? And I think in this day and time, it's important for us to really dive into that. And for me, I can tell you that I do think that the concept of apocalypse is something that we should be aware of, that what it's talking about in the Bible is not something that we should completely dismiss. But I do think that we've been interpreting it the wrong way. So when it comes to apocalypse on this planet, there are two versions of apocalypse that could occur. The first is one that will literally come from the heavens. And I'm sure that all of you have seen or heard of, at some point in time, movies or television shows where they talk about an asteroid that is catapulting towards the Earth. Now, in these shows, usually an astronomer 
is somebody who sees this coming and it gives us time to prepare. So we can either destroy the asteroid or we are able to deflect it so it doesn't end up hitting the Earth. Now the truth is, we probably wouldn't even see it coming because it's very hard to see asteroids. There's no light reflecting off of it. And even if we did see it, it is likely that we could do very little about it. People will say, oh, why don't you shoot a nuclear weapon at it? Well, we have a lot of nuclear warheads, but we don't have them attached to rockets that can go into space. And so if this were to come, there is little that we could do. And I think it's very interesting because if we talk about something like the asteroid that impacted the Earth with the dinosaurs, when that occurred, that particular asteroid, it would be very much like what we're talking about in the Bible. So once the asteroid actually impacts the Earth, what would happen is that it would surround the Earth in a very, very dark cloud. It would shoot all of this matter up into the air, and this cloud would be so dense and thick that it would end up blocking out the sun completely. Now, in this cloud, there would be a lot of rocks and burning debris that would ultimately set the Earth on fire. Not to speak of the fact that we would be dealing with a huge amount of earthquakes and volcanoes and tsunamis. It would be a very, very difficult situation for those of us on Earth, any species at all, to survive. And at the end of the day, it would take the Earth about 10,000 years to recover from all of this until it could sustain life again because no light could penetrate inside the Earth for that period of time. Now, this is not something that you need to be particularly worried about because ultimately these types of strikes only happen once every 30 million years. And the big reason why we don't have to worry about it is because of Jupiter. Jupiter is actually the planet that keeps most of these asteroids from striking into us. It has so much gravity that it holds on to most of the asteroids in our solar system. And this is why there is an asteroid belt. So, we need to thank our lucky stars that we have that because Jupiter is the reason why we are here today. Which leads us to the second possibility of how we could find apocalypse on this planet, which is that we ourselves could bring it upon the planet. Now the narrative that you will often hear is that human beings are a blight upon the earth and that we are the ones responsible for destroying the environment. And ultimately, as true as this might be in certain situations, I think that this narrative is not exactly the right narrative, nor is it entirely reflective of the truth. So when you look at most of the environmental damage that humans have wrought upon the earth, it has happened over the last 150 years. Now, you have to keep in mind that humans have been on this planet for the better part of 100,000 years. So for the vast majority of that time, humans have been able to have a good symbiosis with the planet. It's just the last 150 years where we've seen a shift. So it's not right to say that humans are necessarily a blight upon the planet. It's that something has changed in the way that we interact with the earth. And so what's happened is that in the last 150 years, we have become much, much smarter. I mean, we have really taken off and we've created a lot of technology that has very much changed our world for the better. Unfortunately, that technology has had some unintended consequences. So one of the ways that we have totally transformed our world is the utilization of electricity. So we have 
done amazing things with electricity. I think everybody would agree our life is so much better because of electricity. But to produce electricity, you need power plants. And those power plants have to be powered by some energy source. And a lot of times we have used coal to do that. Now coal, it releases a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. And the same is true with another discovery of ours, which has totally transformed our world, which is petrochemicals. Now when we think of petroleum, oil, of course what we're thinking of is we think of the gasoline we put in our cars and the fuel for airplanes, which does emit a lot of carbon, there's no doubt about it. But petroleum and petrochemicals, they do a lot for us. They really make our world a better place. So when we look at something like plastics, which is very important to our world, or pharmaceuticals, which keeps us well. It's really important for these petrochemicals to be there. And probably the most important place for these petrochemicals is our food supply. So if you look at your kitchen table, that would not exist today if it was not for natural gas-based fertilizers. Those natural gas-based fertilizers enable us to be able to feed the seven and a half billion people on the planet. In fact, if it wasn't for those natural gas-based fertilizers, then there would be no way that we could do that. In fact, the earth could only sustain about a billion people. Now, by telling you this, we have actually stumbled upon to what I believe is really the major problem with the earth today, which is that there are just simply too many people on the planet. With the ability to create this technology and to really improve our lives, we have come to a place where our population has just skyrocketed because we have made it so much easier for us to live our lives on this planet. The problem is, is that when you have seven and a half billion people, all of us want the same things. We all want to eat food, good food. We all want to live in homes. We all want cars. We all want access to technology. And the fact is, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. The problem is, when we all want these things at the same time, then we end up in a situation where we are putting a lot of pressure on the finite resources of the Earth. So a good example of this would be our food supply. So it is estimated that once we surpass 9 billion people on the planet, that there will literally be not enough calories produced by the earth every year to sustain that many human lives. We just can't grow enough food. So the only way that we're gonna be able to do that is if we create technology that will allow for it to occur, which means that we're gonna probably be burning a lot more petroleum, which means we're gonna be shooting a lot more carbon into the atmosphere. Now carbon, very simply, all it does is it traps heat. That's what it does in our atmosphere. In fact, if it wasn't for carbon, we wouldn't be here today because carbon allowed the earth to heat up enough to create the situation that we find ourselves in now. The problem is, is that we're at a point now where we have this really nice equilibrium where it's not too hot, not too cold. But if we end up putting more carbon into the atmosphere, then that's gonna change things a bit. And in the immediacy, what it's going to change as the earth heats up, is just our weather patterns, which is something that we've all seen, right? The hurricanes are getting a little more powerful. The tornadoes are getting a little more destructive. We're seeing these wildfires like the ones over in Australia that really blaze on 
forever, and it's very hard to put them out. We also see that instead of having a nice rainfall, it's either drought or floods, and this is gonna continue as we go down the line. And the problem is, is that this ends up impacting the ecological pyramid, which is gonna put pressure on our food supply in the long run. So that's one way that a heating climate is going to impact us, and if there's pressure on that food supply, then of course with nine billion people, we're already in a difficult place. The other way that this can happen is that a warming climate can produce global pandemics. And you might sit there and say to yourself, Alex, we're in the middle of a global pandemic right now. And you are correct, we are. But it wasn't caused by climate change. The global pandemic we are dealing with today is the result of what I was talking about earlier with overpopulation. So the reason why this global pandemic occurred is because there are so many people densely packed into these areas like China and they're interacting with animals and so those viruses have the opportunity to jump into the human population. But overpopulation is not the only way that pandemics can occur. It can also occur through the warming of the climate. And let me give you an example. So in Siberia in, in 2016, there was a series of warm weeks. Now normally in Siberia, we associate Siberia with it being very cold. And normally it doesn't get up but to 60 or 70 degrees in the summer. But there was a series of weeks where it was in 80, 90 degrees, and it ended up melting the permafrost. And it released anthrax that had been trapped in the permafrost and it infected a number of people there. Now, they weren't able to keep it under control. But what we have to realize is that there's probably other viruses trapped in that permafrost that will get released. I talked about 1918 flu in my sermon on Easter. That infected and killed 50 million people. 300 million people were infected, 50 million people were killed. If that got released into our population today, the deaths could be upwards of a billion people. And so that's just one virus and there could be others. So this is just to say that there are impacts that we have to consider in all of this. Now, if we can take a step back, the truth is, is that even if we could wave a magic wand today, and we could get rid of all of the use of gasoline, all of the use of coal. Basically, went, we went carbon neutral. We, didn't use, uh, we, did, we weren't using any carbon at all in the world. It would still take the Earth 60,000 years to release all the carbon that we've pumped into the atmosphere in the last 150 years. And the reason we know this is because the last time the Earth got to this level of carbon, that's how long it took. And the fact is, is that we're not gonna stop burning carbon. We're gonna keep pumping it into the atmosphere. So we're in a place right now where we've never had this much carbon and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But it puts us in danger because we might enter into what is called the Venus cycle. So Venus, as you know, is the second planet from the sun. We are the third planet. And Venus is encased in an atmosphere that is 96% carbon dioxide. Now, because it's 96% carbon dioxide, the average surface temperature on Venus is 864 degrees Fahrenheit. That is hot enough to melt lead. Now, if you took away that atmosphere, Venus would only be between 100 and 164 degrees on any given day. It would not be as hot as it is. So all of that carbon has trapped all that heat. So the heat of the sun goes in and it heats up and it can't escape. Now that could happen here if we pump too much carbon, it starts to heat up to the point where we can't stop it. And so it's important for us to realize that we need to do something. And this, of course, is where I'm going to turn to our scripture reading from Genesis chapter 1. 
So in Genesis chapter 1, what you know is that that is the first commandment that God gives to us. The first commandment, which is to say that humans are supposed to take care of the earth. Now this commandment is really important for us as Christians because we have a duty to make sure that we are caring for our earth around us, that we don't let it get destroyed. The problem is, is that we as human beings, we have trouble kind of adapting. And I'm a realist about human behavior. I know that we aren't gonna change the way that we operate and the way that we act unless there's a threat right in front of our face. And it just so happens that right now there's a threat right in front of our face. We are dealing with a global pandemic, and we are gonna to get to the other side of this, but this is a little taste of what it's going to be like for us in the future. And the reason we find ourselves in this situation, again, is because there are just so many people on the earth, and those people, they're putting pressure on the environment, they're putting pressure on our food system, and they're putting pressure on us in terms of our health with viruses. So we have two options. We either have to decrease the population or we have to change our behaviors. And since we're probably not going to decrease the population because we see our reproduction as a fundamental right, then the only option that we have left is to change our behaviors. And that's how I wanna end this morning. I wanna end by telling you how we can possibly change our behaviors to really make a positive impact so that we can all live here and so that we have this earth for many generations to come, not just for our children, but for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. So something I want you to pay attention to is an indicator species that tells us whether we are hitting the tipping point. And that indicator species is the monarch butterfly. You've learned about these insects in school. All of us see them. They are absolutely beautiful butterflies, but their, their numbers have declined by 90% in the last few decades because we as humans, we've become more populous and we're encroaching on their territory. We're moving into forests, we're moving into grasslands, and so as a result of that, their primary food source, which is milkweed, is going away so they can't survive. Now, why is this bad for us? Well, it's bad because on the one hand, they are beautiful, beautiful insects. But on the other hand, we actually rely on them. So insects like the monarch butterflies and, and their kin are responsible for being able to pollinate 35% of the food that we eat every year. And so if they disappear, if they don't survive, then we are gonna see a collapse in our food source. And this is really bad for us. Now, can we make a difference? Absolutely we can. You can go out right now, it's spring. You can go out and plant milkweed in your garden. You can plant it in your yard. They just need a little bit of milkweed to eat so that they can move on with their migrations north and south. And if you're willing to do that, then they will be able to pollinate the food and we can eat. Now, I bring this up because this is just one small thing that you can do. It doesn't take much. Because the fact is, is that when we're talking about the apocalypse, it's not gonna look like what we talked about in Revelation unless we're talking about an asteroid. The fact is that when we're looking at the apocalypse, it's very much gonna be based around Genesis chapter one, which is we didn't follow God's command for our lives. We need to make sure that we are caring for the earth, whatever it takes. And if we are willing to do that, then I think that we can turn it around. We have all the tools at our disposal. In the last 150 years, we have really improved in terms of our intelligence and what we can do in the world. So if we can do all of this, if we can create the problem, we can fix the problem. We simply have to be willing to take that technology and use it for the benefit of the world rather than for the benefit of ourselves.
And I think this is something that's very important for us as a church as well. We as a church, we not only need to be a Matthew 25 church, but we need to be a Genesis 1 church where we really care about the earth. And we've already made strides in that direction. So a couple of years ago, Session voted to establish a green team in our church, and they've actually made some really wonderful improvements here. So family night, which is something we're not doing right now, but every Wednesday night during the school year, we get together, we have this wonderful dinner, and we have more than 100 people there, and we ask that green team, what can we do to make sure that we're being ecologically friendly to make sure that we're not producing a lot of waste on those family nights? And so we've done that, and we've really kept the waste levels down. We've also had them go through the church, and what we did was we ended up going through all the lights. We changed them out from incandescent bulbs into LED bulbs, and our power draw has really come down. The power bill is a lot less than it used to be, and we're lowering our carbon footprint. And in fact, this past month, the trustees passed a motion where they are going to install solar panels on the roofs of the church, which is going to account for nearly 20% of the power usage that we utilize every year in this church, which is really, really remarkable. So we're making strides in that direction and we're making sure that this community is ecologically friendly. We just need to make sure that we also are doing that in our homes as individuals. Let's make sure that we're doing our part to keep the world safe because the truth is, The apocalypse could come upon us and it will be our own doing. But we as Christians have the ability to turn that around, to go in the other direction, and to really make an impact on the earth so that we are living into God's commandment for us in Genesis 1 to serve the earth, to keep it our own, and to make sure that it's here not just for our generation, but for our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.